This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. God merely left them to their own self-determination and self-destruction. And that's part of the price of man's moral freedom. Man has a choice. All the way back in the garden, Adam had a choice to obey God or to disobey God. And even today, man has that choice. And what he's saying here is, God merely left them to their own self-determination and self-destruction. No longer would he confine them because they continued to reject him. And so he gave them up. Throughout the Bible, there are many examples of how God gives up. It's never the way that you and I give up. He gives up when man continues to turn from him. He reveals himself to man and man rejects that revealing. And God gives up, but not the way that we give up. We give up because we get tired, run out of resources, or get frustrated. He says enough is enough. An example of God giving up is when he brought judgment on Babylon, Sodom, and Gomorrah. God leaves them to their own self-destruction. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 22, for part one of our message entitled, When God Gives Up. Well, this morning we are still in the book of Romans as we are traveling through that gold mine of Christian doctrine. As we've shared uh, along the way that uh, there's a tremendous amount of nuggets that we're going to be picking up along the way, and you are more than free to pick those nuggets up, put them in your pocket, they are yours to keep. And you can even share those nuggets, and you know what? As you share those nuggets that you get to pick up, not only do you also get to keep the nugget that you have as you share it with somebody else, but your nugget actually grows because, again, it becomes more precious to you even as you're sharing it. The gold mine that we see in the book of Romans is a gold mine of teachings within the whole understanding of Christianity, of who we are in Christ, and the impact that we ought to have to the world that's around us. Last week, we looked at the revealing, the revealing of God, His nature, and who He is to the world around us. How man, when we were even created, God not only revealed himself inside of man, inside the very heart of man, and as uh, the uh, early church father Augustine said, that inside of man there is a God-shaped hole that man desires to fill. Not only inside of him had God revealed himself to man, but also through all of creation, everything that we see. God revealed himself, but we also saw how last week that man determined that he would reject that revealing and he would turn his back on God. This morning we're going to be looking at when God gives up. When God gives up. It's kind of a weird thought concept. You ever think of God giving up? Now, he doesn't give up in the way that you and I give up, because you and I give up when we get tired, when we run out of resources, or when we get frustrated. But God never gets tired. He never runs out of resources. And really and truly, he does not get frustrated because he knows the end of all things. But there is a time, and I want you to see this morning, that God gives up, but not in the way that you and I give up. As we looked last week in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23... We understood and knew that God had created us, and he had formed us and fashioned us for a purpose. We were created to be worshipers of our creator. 
But instead, we found out that we were worshiping the creation. Everyone worships something. Within our makeup, within who we are, man finds something to worship. He may worship fame. He may worship some idol, whether it be an idol made out of stone, or whether it be an idol on a stage or a platform someplace, or on a ball field of some sort. Everyone worships something. We may worship our own pleasure, our own desires, our own plans, our own futures, whatever it is, but man will find something to worship. You know, it wasn't too long ago as we were going through the book of First and Second Kings that we talked about the long-suffering, the patient endurance, the extended mercy of God, and how God continues on working and ministering and reaching out to man. And we looked in the chapters there and the stories of the kings, and, and we think, man, it's time that God should just do something with that. But yet God continued with his long-suffering, his patient endurance, his extended mercy, even through the disobedience, the wickedness, the sinfulness of man. But we also looked, and it was there at the end of that session in First King or in Second Kings, that finally the, the long suffering faded away. God said, Enough is enough. The long suffering faded away, the patient endurance faded away. The extended mercy came to an end as we were going through those stories. And we found out how God had brought judgment on the children of Israel as he brought the nation Babylon down into that area and took them captive. Already the nation Israel, the northern kingdom, had been taken by the Assyrians and destroyed. Now God was bringing judgment on Israel because God said, enough is enough. You could say that God gave up at that point, but not in the way that you and I give up. We read that even while they were in captivity, the prophet Ezekiel had a vision of the Lord and of the temple. And in that, he spoke about the Spirit of God leaving. And as a matter of fact, take, if you would, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ezekiel chapter 10. I want you to see these things for yourself. In Ezekiel chapter 10, we're just going to look at a few verses. In verse 4, it speaks about the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and paused over the threshold of the temple. And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. During the time of God's blessing of the children of Israel, the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. The Spirit of God filled the temple of the Lord. But because of their sin, because of the children of Israel's sin and rebellion, we find out that the Spirit of God begins moving. And we look over in verse 18 and 19 there, still in Ezekiel. It says, Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple, and stood over the cherubim, and the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. And when they went out, the wheels were beside them, and they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the Lord God of Israel was above them. It's going from that holy place. Now it's left the temple, and now it's on the outside, literally at the gate of the temple. But it gets even worse than that over in verse or chapter 11. Look at verses 22 and 23. It says, And so the cherubim lifted up their wings, and with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them. In verse 23, And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Speaking there, that the glory of the Lord departing from the temple went from the holy place, 
to the outside gate till now on to the outside of the city, to the mountain outside. But literally, Ichabod became the byword of the temple there in Jerusalem. The glory is gone. No more the glory. That's what that name means. The Spirit of God departed from the temple. God gave up on that, but not in the way that you and I give up. We read also in Genesis, even at the very beginning, in the earliest of the generations following the creation of the world, early on that the wickedness of man began to prevail and overwhelm all of God's creation. And we read in those verses in chapter 6, the, you know the story, it gets ready to move into the time of the flood and of God speaking to Noah. But in verse 5 of chapter 6, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually. Man, what a declaration that is on the wickedness of man. His heart was filled with only evil continually. says in verse 11, that the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. The corruption, the sinfulness, the wickedness of man. Go back, if you would, to verse 3, because in verse 3 there in chapter 6, speaks about what God's plan was at this point in time. And God says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. In other words, there's going to come a time, even as he's working and moving and declaring himself to man, that he's going to say, I'm done with that. It's over. And God will give up on that. But not in the way that you and I give up. In the New Testament, we can look there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we see the story that we've spoken about even as on Wednesday evenings as we're going through, uh, again, the, the books of First and Second Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, it speaks, well, in that whole portion, that earlier portion of chapter 5, it speaks of a man who was involved in an incestuous relationship with his father's wife, kind of his stepmom, and again, the Lord spoke to the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul told him, look, these things ought not be, you're being proud in this, but what you need to do is deliver such one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. It's time to give up on this one, but it's not in the way that you and I would give up. Now, if we go back to Romans, now that I've laid, hopefully, the, the foundation of what we're going to look at, beginning in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 24 and verse 25, we read this. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. God gave them up. He gave them up. To uncleanness, and it's an interesting word, this uncleanness. Agathartos is the Greek word, and you might think, well, so what? What is that? That doesn't mean anything to me, unless you look a little bit deeper to it. Agathartos comes from a base word, kathario, kathario. And kathario means to cleanse and to prune or to purge. 
It's interesting in the Greek language, if you put an A in front of it, it means no or not to, or it's the negative of that. So God is saying, I gave them up. No longer will I cleanse them. No longer will I prune them. No longer will I purge them. As I've shared with you guys on more than a few occasions, you're probably getting tired of hearing it, about the garden that I'm trying to grow at the house. And we've got a couple of tomato plants that are just going crazy. I mean, it's going to overtake the entire garden. And we were talking the other day about the fact that I needed to prune them back. Otherwise, they're just going to go wild. And actually, as we prune them, we're hoping to get better fruit from them. And what this word says is that God no longer was pruning the minds of man. But he was going to literally give them up to the lust of their own heart. Just going to let them grow wild and go wild. And that's exactly what he's speaking here when he says that he gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. R.T. Robertson explains this whole passage in saying that God merely left them to their own self-determination and self-destruction. And that's part of the price of man's moral freedom. Man has a choice. All the way back in the garden, Adam had a choice to obey God or to disobey God. And even today, man has that choice. And what he's saying here is God merely left them to their own self-determination and self-destruction. No longer would he confine them because they continued to reject him. And so he gave them up. You remember last week we talked about in verse 18 how those people, that people, humanity themselves, had literally suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. And we talked about what that word suppressed and what it means is to take the truth, put it in a box, put the lid on the box, and literally sit on the box so that the truth cannot get out. And that's what humanity has done with the truth that God has revealed both in them and around them. But here in verse 25 in Romans, it speaks about the fact that these are the ones also who now exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Exchanged the truth. You know what? When they exchanged the truth for the lie, it was just like in the garden where God says, this is the truth. And they exchanged the truth for the lie that Satan told them. So surely you won't really die. Surely you won't really die. That's not really what God meant when he said that. Beloved, let me tell you, when God speaks, he means what he says. And though humanity may take today and try to exchange that truth for a lie, it's to our own self-destruction that we exchange the truth that we know for the lie that Satan and the world and our own flesh try to draw us into. Exchanging the truth for a lie. Then in verse 27, says again, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Wow. God gave them up. God gave them up, it says, for there are two, their vile passions. You think of that vile passions. You think, what in the world does he mean by vile passions? Passions are good. 
I think that we need to be a passionate people. We need to be passionate, just as Brother Bob was, about the Word of God, that the power of God. We need to be passionate about our relationship with Christ. It needs to be utmost and the focus of who we are. I believe that a husband and wife need to be passionate toward each other in a godly and a right way, but that's not what he's speaking about here. He says vile passions, and vile passions means dishonorable and shameful passions. And he begins speaking directly at homosexual relationships at this point in time. When he speaks of vile passions, that's what he's saying. God gave them up to these vile passions where men and women were exchanging the whole understanding of what God had created them for and why God had created them. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even really use, in your version, it may speak of men and women, but that's not the term that the Apostle Paul used when he wrote Romans. There was other words that he used, and he used animal terms. He didn't say men and women. He said male and female. He could have used woman and man, but instead he used female and male because I believe that he was drawing a very clear distinction that Male and female had literally gone back to a very animalistic type of lifestyle. That there is no God, there's no reaction from what I'm doing. I can live any way that I want to. And he says, and they're going to be destroyed because of that. It says there that they were receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Look at the homosexual community today. And we see damage in every way in their lives. Is there going to be an eternal damage? Absolutely. But even right now, in every category in the homosexual community, the the statistics against them are so huge. In domestic violence, in drug abuse, in sexually transmitted disease, in alcoholism, specific physical ailments because of the activities that they get involved with, in depression and in suicide, in every category... Statistically, they are destroying themselves because of the choices that they are making to continue to ignore the reality of how God had created them and continue pressing on to these vile passions. When you start looking at this and you look at the the damage and the destruction, everything that's going on in their lives... You think this is an alternative lifestyle? And they call it gay. But you know what? There's nothing gay about it. Because in nearly every case, we see statistic after statistic after statistic. Monogamous relationships within the homosexual community are very, very rare. As a matter of fact, even their own magazines, The Advocate, declares that homosexual partners, the ones that they have shared themselves with, more often than not will go into the dozens, if not even more than that. One statistic I was reading, they said that they were getting off, literally off the charts, 100, 200, 300 partners within a lifetime, destroying themselves, seeking to find a filling for that hole that's in their life. No. That's not a gay lifestyle at all. But let's go on. Because in verse 28 it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. Again, God gave them up. 
God gave them over to what? To a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality of every type. Now, not just homosexuality, but sexual immorality of every type. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder and strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning and untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do they do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. What a declaration that is of human society that turns against God, that literally blocks out God in their life. And suddenly they are left to every wicked end and wicked device. God says that because of that, for this very reason, that God gave them over to this debased mind, the debased mind, meaning a reprobate mind. Albert Barnes, again, in speaking of this, idea of a reprobate mind. He says that it's a mind destitute of judgment as a consequence of their headstrong passions and their determination to forget him. You look at the world and do they have good judgment? No, they don't. You can look at almost every category of our society right now and you see, man, black and white seems so clear And yet suddenly, good becomes evil, evil becomes good. That that was so clear of being a right thing to do, now is the wrong thing to do. That that seems so clear that's a wrong thing to do has become the very right thing to do. And not only is it the right thing to do, but they joy and celebrate in the fact that now others are joining with them in that wickedness. They look at us, and they look at the Word of God, and they look at the declaration of God and says how narrow that is and how backward that is. And yet, they're destroying themselves because they continue to ignore the reality of the truth of God's Word, continue to shut off the truth of God's Word. It says that the word, that they then seal their fate because they know the righteous judgment of God But not only do they do the same, but they approve those who practice them. They approve those who practice them. I look at our court systems, and I think, wow, how do they get away with that? I look at the laws that are being passed, not only in our nation, but even locally, and I wonder, how in the world do they come to that understanding? I even look at the rewriting of history, and I say, how can they take what was true and turn it and pervert it so much? I look at our entertainment society, the amusement that people become enthralled in. I think continually bringing about darkness and darkness and darkness, literally sensitizing the public against wickedness. Suddenly, wickedness is, oh, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. Desensitized, that's the word I was looking for. I knew there was a word in there, desensitized, against things that are evil, because it's being shown over and pushed upon us over, and it becomes acceptable over and over again. And not only that, but they approve those who practice them. We look at a list like this. We think how easy it would be for us to jump on the bandwagon 
against homosexual behavior. And we could carry banners and signs against and speaking against homosexual behavior. And that the Word of God speaks against homosexual behavior and the outcome that's going to come if they continue in that. But you cannot miss the fact that Paul goes beyond that as he's sharing, though, hey, it's any kind of sexual immorality. It's the wickedness, the covetousness, the maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceitful, evil-mindedness, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, and on and on it goes. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Romans next time. It's been said that if a believer were to drop their Bible on the ground, it should fall open to the book of Romans. Why, you might ask? Because this book is packed full of doctrine that we truly need to grasp as believers in Jesus. Or maybe you're listening today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. We encourage you to continue tuning in Monday through Friday as Pastor David shares insights from this book. Pastor David will be teaching through this book with hopes that all those tuning in each day here on The Open Word would either be saved or be encouraged in their salvation. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend or to follow The Open Word Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the Book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word. 